Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. Welcome to another episode of your favorite podcast that is wondering when October 1st became Christmas. I mean, I was at the store the other day, and there's Christmas stuff out. Uh, and it's insane. Yeah. Usually, it's like November. We at least get through Halloween. Yeah. And now it seems like Halloween stuff is gone already. It's Christmas. Yeah, it, it gets it gets kind of crazy. Even in, they rush the season so much. At the very beginning of the school year, I was looking for some short sleeve shirts, and everything I found in stores was sweaters. All the short sleeve shirts had already been put away, and I was like thinking, oh, well, maybe I'll find some stuff on sale. Nope. Like it, it was, seems like it was all gone. It seems like the stores are following the Disney model, where we have holidays for three <laughs> months before, because <laughs> Disney their Halloween started in August, so. Yeah. It's, hey, we're just following that model. But on the show today, but at least they don't try to make Christmas happen before Halloween. True. That's true. <laughs> on the show today, we're going to be discussing uh, Lion King the musical, which we were lucky Na- enough to see the fourth time, I think. I think fourth. Yeah, was, I think it was, was four. Yeah, not fifth. Four. Yeah, we'll go with the fourth time uh, we've seen it. And we got a kind of commemorative book on it this time that had some interesting like because we balling had some interesting behind the scenes <laughs> facts about it about the show and everything and so we thought it'd be interesting to kind of talk about like the five things you may not have known about the lion king musical before we jump into that we're going to go into disney news so last week we talked about the launch of the skyliner and how it was going well turns out we recorded that a bit too soon so, <laughs> so I think we, we recorded that episode maybe Thursday of that week. So the Skyliner had been open for a few days. Saturday night, there was actually an accident on the Skyliner, I think in the Riviera line, that one of the gondolas didn't leave the station properly or slid back. It, not quite sure. The details are kind of murky. But then three or four other gondolas crashed into it and stopped the line and people were stranded in the air for up to three hours and the firefighters had to come and and uh, rescue some people using the cherry pickers um, other people did not have to be rescued out of the gondola like that the the system started back up and they eventually were able to complete their journey but so there was you know a lot of reports you know people were kind of live tweeting <laughs> That, that they were in it and everything. And I guess there was some confusion on what was going on. And so the Skyliner has been closed ever since as Disney is investigating what occurred. I think their statement initially was that it wasn't an accident. There was some issue with the system. I know the manufacturers there kind of working out the bugs since it recently opened, but it's been closed ever since. It's been closed for over a week at this point now. So it, it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, New systems like this obviously have issues with them. Now, Disney did do a lot of testing. I think they're starting to test the system again. But, yeah, I mean, we spoke a little bit too soon. It didn't, really <laughs> la- it didn't last a week, and it's down. And, and I mean, it's, it's definitely terrible that people were stuck up there that long right. for, for multiple hours. I think they need to get that resolved of, of how to get the... Uh, an evacuation plan would be An evacuation be really plan good. quicker get the system working. Yeah, because if you're at Disney World, most likely you don't want to be stuck up in <laughs> a vehicle for 3 hours instead of in the parks riding and enjoying. Yeah, and the night the the one good thing about this was is it was at night, so people weren't out in the middle of the day 
Because if this happened in the afternoon with the sun and it's oh 100 gosh. degrees out, it would be terrible. So this was at night. So at least I didn't have to worry about the temperature. But like I said, yeah, I mean, it's it's terrible that it happened. I'm sure Disney will, will work to resolve it before they reopen. But you, you do have to expect with something new like this, some bumps in the road. And I think this is probably not the worst case scenario, but up there is, is a pretty bad scenario for Disney when they're thinking, hey, if something happens, nobody was really seriously injured or anything. You know, everybody was, was fine. So, like I said, probably not worst case scenario, but definitely not something they want to have within the first week of this. Not ideal. Rolling out, exactly. So, the other piece of Disney news, so kind of in, in better news, the Jungle Cruise trailer came yes, out this week. Yes, it did. And it looks pretty good. Um, Pretty good. It seems like an understatement. It has a very similar feel, I think, to Pirates of the Caribbean. And that's exactly what they're going for. Yeah. I have to watch it again just to kind of get a better feel because I watched it before bed and I wasn't like paying 100% like full attention but it looked incredible and of course The Rock is amazing The Rock would look good wearing a plastic bag he's wearing that little like driver cap he looks fine um so it's just the, the movie looks great Emily Emily Blunt looks incredible um, she's apparently Disney's just new favorite actress cause she is incredible. So yeah, Mary Poppins. What I found interesting is, and what I liked and what kind of differentiates it from Pirates of the Caribbean is they're both based on classic Disney rides, but whereas Pirates of the Caribbean, there's no, there's nothing of the ride has in nothing it. nothing really to do with the ride. Yeah, I mean, it does, but yeah. very little. But in this trailer, it's really funny. And this is probably going to be a, a short bit in the movie if it even makes the final movie. But The Rock is essentially the skipper of the Jungle Cruise, and he's taking guests down the river, and it's essentially the ride, like in real life. Like, everything is fake. There's um, there's a hippo that comes out of the water, but it's a fake hippo. They have natives shooting at the boat, but they're all <laughs> actors. He makes the joke of the eighth wonder of the world, the backside of water. Yeah. And so... It's funny because it, it that's actually the ride. So it's like he's basically... It also seemed like just like on the actual ride, people weren't laughing that hard at his jokes. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so so basically he is the ride in real life. Like this is what it would look like. And then obviously, you know, Emily Blunt's character is searching for an object and hires him to take her into the jungle. And then all this danger and stuff that he's been pretending about most likely going to become real and he's going to, you know, see himself in the thick of it. So it, it is an interesting, you know, kind of idea. I like how they incorporated the ride into it. So I think it looks pretty good. So yeah. looking forward to it coming I'm out next very year. Very much looking forward to that. It'll be All great. All right. So let's jump into our main topic today. It's so like, like we said, we're going to be talking about the Lion King, uh, the Broadway musical. I think everybody knows Angela's a big fan of the movie, <laughs> the original animated version. Indeed. More so than the live action one. And we both are, big fans of the Lion King musical. We've you know, kind of talked about all the different Disney musicals in the past, Aladdin, Frozen, The Lion King. I mean, they're all great. Everything Disney does on Broadway. Yeah, every musical that Disney puts out is incredible. The production value on it is incredible. Um, I mean, Disney can just throw so much money into it. So the music is obviously great. So I, I don't know. We like Broadway musicals, but it they seem to kind of stand a little bit above some of the other ones. Yeah, and Disney can can put so much money into it because The Lion King has done so well. Right. And, and like I said, so we, we've seen it a handful of times and you kind of pick up different things every time you see it, but there's a lot of stuff like like as you were reading, you know, the book we got 
that we didn't know before. And so mm-hmm. kind of with that and, and did some you know additional research, we thought it'd be interesting to kind of talk about some of the lesser known aspects and, and pick of it the apart. show. I mean, because if you have seen it, you would be able to understand and relate to what we're talking about. But if you haven't seen it and you've thought about it and you've been thinking, you know, this Broadway is not really my thing, but I really like The Lion King. This might be something that I'm interested in. This might be a, a good you know, stepping off point for you. And you can see all the work that goes into it and understand just how complex it is. And it might make you want to go see it. So I think, yeah, you're going to really enjoy this episode. I really enjoyed taking notes on it. So. Yeah. So we'll kind of talk about like five kind of main points of this. So the first one is, and this is kind of crazy to think about. It wasn't (laughs) a like slam dunk of an idea. So the, the musical, debuted on Broadway in 1997. And this was Disney's only second Broadway musical. So they first uh, started with Beauty and the Beast. And that one, I think, did well, but it wasn't, you know, like a crazy success. It wasn't a powerhouse. Yeah, necessarily. So Mike Weisner, who was the CEO at the time, came up with the idea to adapt The Lion King into a Broadway musical. And, And again, today, looking back on it, we're like, Oh, of course, it makes sense. It's a great musical. It turned out well. But it was a big risk back then. I mean, they had done one musical that had done okay. It wasn't like this was guaranteed to be a blockbuster. Right. Exactly. So he came up with this idea. And then Tom Schumacher, who was one of the the film's two executive producers, heard this task. And he was like... It was the wor- like he in quotes he said it was the worst idea I've I've ever heard. So he was not sold. He didn't think it would translate from the cartoon version to a stage version. There's just so many things at play. There's so many different settings. There's and different there's no characters, people. different animals. There's, there's no, no people. Yeah, there's right. no humans. I mean, at least with Beauty and the Beast, you have Belle who's human. The Beast is human who's turned. I mean, everybody is human and they've turned into something. So right, they at least just, have. They it's least minimal ha- costuming that you have to do there. They at least have you know human like personas and and quantities about them but here it's all animals so it's how do you translate that how do you have human actors portray that on broadway and yeah it was just a lot of people thought it was a bad idea and thought thought they were crazy for doing this and we'll kind of get to this as we go through the other things but a lot of really brilliant and creative people came together and developed innovative new ways of storytelling and costuming and and lighting and everything to work together to pull this and and ended up making it a great show well exactly and i think that that really that kind of wrote on the back very much of of the director julie tamor um she ended up becoming the first woman to win for best director win a, a tony award for that and she had her hand in everything in the costuming in the um the additional lyrics she wrote and at the time that she even got asked to do it, she had never even seen The Lion King. So she she hadn't really had any massive successes. She'd never worked on a musical or Broadway show. So she was a big risk, but Disney knew that they were going to have to pull from you know, some different places in order to make this really crazy idea into a reality. And then so, so the second thing is that, I mean, one, it, it draws from a lot of different cultures. But what's interesting is that it actually the staging of it draws from ancient Japanese puppet theater, which is called Bunraku, and the concept of a double event, which is where you can see the actor and the puppet, and they're both part of the performance. So anybody that's seen the Lion King musical kind of understands what this is about, but this is a 
kind of uh, rooted in Japanese tradition. Yeah. So this was this particular method was found in Osaka. But what's really interesting is like they have these puppets that are almost like ventriloquist dummies, but they're a, they seem like very they're very very complex. And there's a system of like you should watch the YouTube video. The YouTube video is insane. It was called is it it's called Bunraku Theater. But you can see all the different strings that the operators use um, to control the facial expressions. One of them moves their eyebrows up and down to give them different expressions. One of them opens their mouths. Uh, There's just a whole bunch of different things that these puppets are capable of doing. So it's really interesting. So two of the characters that have this are Zazu and Timon. Uh, both of those characters, you have the puppet and you have the actor that stands behind them. And they use their facial expressions of both of them in order to convey meaning. And Disney yeah. uses this, again, in Frozen with Olaf. Yes. So Olaf uses this concept as well. So they've, you know, it works so well. They definitely the borrowed King. it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they borrowed it for, for later uh, musicals. But yeah, I mean, it, it it's, is really well done. I mean, how... It, it's interesting. You have a puppet who is the character that you're focusing on, but the human actor working that puppet is a part of it. You know, it's not like they... Yeah. It's not like... You don't want them not to be hidden. seen. Yeah, exactly. They, they are predominant and part of the show as well. I mean, so. I would have to imagine that what they're doing is probably far more, I mean, even almost more difficult than what the regular actors are doing because they both have to remember to control things with their hands, but also their face acting. Like every expression they're making is what their puppet's making. And so it's really interesting that they're working together as this co- cohesive unit and they're responsible for that many different tasks at once so it's it's fascinating yeah and, and then kind of moving uh along with this of you know the puppetry and the costuming so every costume that is in this show has a, like a deep meaning which is is really interesting because i mean of course you know all the costumes are you want one to look like simba one to look like mufasa and scar and and all the animals but there's there's deeper hidden meanings in how all of them are designed. And, you know, you mentioned um, the director, Julie Taymor. She had a big hand in the co- in designing the costuming yes. as well. And, again, this was something that was very... She, she, like, carved the original masks out of clay yeah. herself, which, again, so impressive. Yeah, and this was something that was, you know, never really done before or seen like this, this type of, you know, costuming and things and, mm-hmm. and how it, you know, it moves and interacts. And so, yeah, I mean, all of the characters, there, there's meaning in them that kind of play to their character traits. But even the the individual animals that just like the gazelles and the elephants and everything, I mean, they're all different too. Like none of, no two of those animals are the same. They use different uh, mechanics to kind of work. So e- even that level of detail where just their background animals kind of play into this. So Rafiki is based on a... Sangoma, uh, which is a spiritual healer, and uh, it's taken from South Africa. So there's beading on the costume and all kinds of trinkets that hang off of her costume as well that hint at this. As And then her face paint and her fingers and her feet are all part of her being a mandrill, which is what most of us think of as like a baboon, but they're actually mandrills. So she's actually the one of the... She's unique in the play because she is the only character who... Uh, neither has a puppet nor wears a mask. Yeah, and that's a pretty interesting fact yeah, in a, and of itself. That's I mean, a fun fact. Yeah, you don't really think about that, but that's true that, that Rafiki is the only one 
like that that has yeah no mask mm-hmm. you know no no popping I mean, on it they really took the character of rafiki and that's the thing that's really interesting about the musical and if you haven't seen it it's worth seeing it for this rafiki in the in the actual movie is kind of in the background you know you see him in the beginning and then you see him kind of in the middle when simba's trying to discover himself rediscover himself before he goes back um, and then you see him in the end. But Rafiki is a, is is kind of the storyteller in this. And they changed, obviously, the gender. So it's a woman who plays Rafiki. And he has a much more, she has a much more integral role in the action of, of the film. You see her a lot more. So it, it's just, it's really interesting. Yeah. And I'm going to steal your thunder here a little bit. So don't get too mad at me. But what's interesting on Mufasa, his uh, head and I never thought of this, but it's a halo effect to represent the circle of life, which was one of the, which was very interesting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the symbolism there. I mean, as you know, English literature major, I read that and I was like, oh my goodness, why didn't I catch this? It's amazing. Yeah, and it's also meant to act like a crown because in the one scene when he's talking with young Simba after he goes to the elephant graveyard, he actually takes his mask off of his head and sets it down to kind mm. of like, you know, almost say, hey, I'm. I'm not the king right now. I'm your father to yeah. show his vulnerability. And you kind of pick up on that in the show, but then it is interesting to hear kind of the behind the scenes that they did design that to be like a crown for Mufasa. So, it, you know, it's his face and everything. It represents circle life, but it also represents you know his royalty. Yeah. And one of the things that whenever I was reading this, that I was really picking up on uh, through the book is people wanted, they wanted to really, emphasize the humanity in the Lion King, even though there are no humans. So I think that part of that scene, what he's doing and he takes that off is it's also representative of the fact that, you know, he is a lion, but you have that, those feelings toward your children. You know, you want to protect them. You want to make sure that they're safe. You want to give them the best life that you possibly can. And so he's taking that lion mask off also almost just to represent, Hey, I'm not a lion right now. I'm just I'm a human and I I'm speaking and I can reach everyone in this theater because everyone or most people, you know, even if you don't have kids, you understand my like the intense need to protect people who are younger. So, uh, yeah, it's it's the symbolism in here is just so well woven in. It, it's incredible. And another thing about Mufasa that is super interesting that I'd never thought of until I read about it is he has. Um, first of all, his his dress, like the way that he's he's costume, it's patterned after traditional Maasai warriors, and he has swords as his front legs, and so he kind of walks around and he uses them kind of as front legs, but then also he uses them in battle. So he is kind of the picture of balance. Everything about him is very symmetrical. He has two swords, and then by contrast, you look at Scar. So and Scar has a very interesting costume. I I probably like his. His costume's the best. best. Yeah, because he has and he he has it where his head as he bends over, his mask will actually cover the actor's face. Mm-hmm. So it's on like a hinge system. Yeah. yeah and cool. so so it's kind of very imposing as it is because it has kind of like the bones and it's not it's well, very it's, jagged. Yeah, it's, it's meant to be spiny because his personality is spiny. Right. But then as he intimidates people, he kind of, you know, leans forward on the pounce and his his mask comes down and it makes him more intimidating and it's and almost like ominous. demonic in a way. Like he he's his humanity again is completely covered up and he just has this creepy mask that has these pointy spines on his mane to make him look 
imposing and and scary. Right. And kind of like what you were getting at, you know, Mufasa is is all balanced. I mean, everything about Scar is off balance. He walks mm-hmm. he walks with the cane, but then even his mask. I mean, the, the I believe the eye with the scar on it is larger than mm-hmm. his other eye. It's up higher. It's, yeah, it, it, it's, it, it's the mask emphasized. Is, yeah, it's yeah. asymmetrical, and his his makeup even on the face is different. So one eyebrow is actually designed. And again, saw this three or we we've seen it three other times. Never really noticed that much, or never noted it mentally that one of his eyebrows on his makeup is up and the other eyebrow is down. So it gives him this like twisting feature on his face. Um, he looks very off balance and even like, you know, ladies, you know, contouring, you might understand, you know, you know what that is. Um, it looks like one side of his face is more heavily contoured. It's darker than the other side, which again, just adds to that whole like kind of creepy, spiny off balance sense. So um, did we mention the cake? I can't remember. Yeah. I, I just mentioned okay. it. Yeah. Sorry. I completely forgot. So, Moving from you got scar. you got two into contouring. I did. I got Your mind so was excited. like, "Ooh, contouring makeup." <laughs> got very excited. Simba's mane. Whenever he's an adult, again, totally can't believe I didn't notice this. It's designed. It has that brush effect of like a Roman um, warrior. So it has. It kind of starts almost in a mohawk kind of fashion, and then kind of fails fans out. So again, it and he has that. He again has the. Um, more of the Maasai Maasai markings on his body as well. So kind of like his father. Yeah. And overall, it took 34,000 hours to develop all of these costumes. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's it's insane the amount of time that went into this. And that just goes to show you, I mean, as much as this was a risk, as much as anything anybody does is a risk, if you really dedicate the time and the resources to it, it's going to, maybe it's not the greatest, but it's going to turn out well. You know what I mean? The fact that they, this just so happens to be the greatest. Too. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, mean, I mean, this, this did extremely well, but just like the attention to detail to the costume and the amount of time that was spent on the costumes alone. I mean, on a lot of Broadway shows, you know, the costumes are nothing. It's like that it's more about the music and everything, but they already, you know, they had great music and, and we're going to kind of, that's the next thing about, about the music of this show. But you know, to have a good story, but then, you know, they're devoting so much time. Like, of course it was going to turn out well, you know, they're going to figure it out when you have this many great people on it. So it's just kind of like a lesson for everybody that if you really, you know, dedicate yourself to something, you can, you can make something great, you know, and as a, as a team, this you know, episode if you get a good team. also doubles as a fable, just, you know, just so you know, yeah, we, we, we have to get something out of it too. <laughs> right. So the next one is talking about the music that there's actually six different languages represented in the music and i mean of course a lot of the songs are the uh originals that uh tim rice and elton john wrote for both of which are sirs i did not realize that that tim rice was also a sir there you go all you gotta do is work on the lion king then you're a sir everybody's knighted (laughs) but their um their songs that they wrote for the animated movie are all in there there's a couple, I don't know, are there new ones that they wrote for the musical? I know um, He Lives in You is in it. I know that wasn't in the original movie. That was in one of the sequels. So what happened was they consulted with uh, 
I think it's it's Lebo M. Um, he's a South Af- uh, South South African composer, and he worked on the film with Mark Mancia uh, on the Zulu chants. And then after he worked on the film, he connected with it so much he felt like you know he I think he was exiled or there's some reason why he is not in South Africa. So he felt a very strong connection with the film. So he actually created a a thematic CD called. Rhythm of the Pride Lands. Yeah, Rhythm of the Pride Lands. And that expanded on those musical themes and added additional African chants and languages to it. And I think that Julie Tamor read that, or not read that, listened to that, and was inspired by it. And so she took some of that and worked with him, I think, a little bit yeah, on the music. Yeah, there really as well. is. I mean, you have, like we said, the songs that you're kind of used to from the movie, but there is a different musical feel to the Broadway version. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it, there's much more of the, um, I mean, six different languages are represented. There's much more of like the African theming and like you said, different like chants and languages. And it really lends itself to uh, like a completely different perspective on the movie. I mean, it, while you know the story, it is very different and you, mm-hmm. you feel more connected to it. And it, it is just, a, it's a different experience. It, um, from it and some of the better parts of the new movie the the live action movie i probably believe were borrowed from the musical because nala gets her own song in the musical and it's a really beautiful song and we both looked at each other and were like wow that was incredible and it gives her more of that story of i see something going wrong i can't stay here i can't witness this i'm going to sneak away and find try to find something better. And I think in the movie that was one of the or the the live action movie that's one of the better points that they had. I actually I would love to see that in the animated film. It was you know really well done. It gave her some agency and kind of better explained why she just kind of shows up out by Simba. Definitely. So then moving on to the the fifth point is the amazing attention to detail. So we've already talked about the costumes, but beyond that, the lighting and the makeup has like an extreme attention to detail and has meaning and influence in the story and everything. Simba and Mufasa, like we said, they have the makeup of Maasai warriors and it's meant to reflect their bravery and strength. Uh, We talked about Scar and how he's distorted, how his makeup is very off balance Rafiki again, no mask, so um, and no puppet, so she is just a mandrel. So her makeup, she has the very bright blues and reds that you would see on the face of a of a of a male mandrel. Yeah, and Michael Wars was the makeup artist who came up with all the original makeup. What I find interesting about the makeup is how it is used so that whoever is playing the different characters is lost in the makeup. So, you know, so many times if if you see a Broadway musical and a different actor is playing one of the characters, you know it's a different actor because they look different. You you know, you can see their face. You you can hear them saying. But in The Lion King, I I made a mention this to you. I was like, that scar looks like every scar we've seen. And and Timon looks like every Timon we've seen. They have... And and same with Pumbaa. They have so much makeup on that it really the the individual actor portraying the character um, they're, they're able to kind of lose themselves it's, it's almost like a method acting thing where they where they no longer 
are, lose yourself in the music, the moments. <laughs> yeah, I mean they 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 really become that character, and so whenever you see it, it it provides a consistency. So like I said, I and mean, we've seen it a few times, and every time, I mean, Scar looks the same because because of that makeup and and how well it's done that it looks like the same person. There there is that consistency from show to show and actor to actor, which I think is amazing how they did that. Yeah, it's. It's absolutely incredible. And the difference, I mean, they pull from so many different places. Again, the the amount of just study and knowledge they have packed into this is insane. Even like Nala, she has that harp thing on her back. And that's a structure that's based on something that's worn by Maasai warriors. And she her movements are based on movements that are seen in Bali. So completely different area of the world. But it's just... I don't know, so much so much study and so much work is put into it. The next big thing we really want to talk about, because this is something that you can so easily overlook, is the lighting. And especially in this play, there is a moment where the lighting really shines. And so it's super important for us to talk about. So the first thing that I want to do is I just want to share this quote. And the quote says, and this is done by the designer... Donald Holder. So he says, in a musical, light and music are viscerally connected. The lighting needs to respond to the rise and fall of the music's emotional intensity, to the rhythms, the transitions, and to the changes in musical style. But then there is that other world of The Lion King, which is more majestic, both musically and scenically, and requires sunlight streaming through clouds and a huge expanse of glowing sky. So they have to try to mimic, first of all, they have to try to highlight the music and complement everything going on. But then he's saying, even on this, there's that extra challenge because this takes place in Africa. You're trying to mimic like beautiful sunlight and things like that. So they really have to think about how are we going to execute on this? And it's, it's incredible how they did it. But the big thing, the thing that I was talking about, the big lighting marvel that they have in the show is the scene where Mufasa appears in the clouds. So I'm sure that when they got to this, it was a huge challenge for them because they're like, how are we going to do this? Are we going to do this via projector? That would have been an easy solution to for the problem. Like just, right. just have a projector and project an image of Mufasa. But right. they didn't... But again, they use a mix of puppetry and lighting techniques and just incredible stagecraft to make this come together. Right, so what they basically do in the play is they have dancers go around and they have a piece of Mufasa's face. And it just looks like, I don't know, very strange. Yeah, it's just an abstract yeah, shape. Yeah, abstract you're really shape. Not, you're really not sure what it is. And then it slowly kind of assembles it, yeah, itself. Yeah, it moves and it moves around the stage. And you're like, what is this thing that's twirling? And then suddenly it all, it seems like in an instant, snaps together. And suddenly it goes from just a bunch of shapes to Mufasa's face. And it kind of floats and undulates. And the lighting really helps with that visual. But again, I have, an, I have just one more quote from from the uh, lighting director, and he said, the lighting for Mufasa's ghost was difficult to conceptualize, yet relatively easy to achieve technically. We eliminated all ambient light on stage, projected overlapping images of crisply focused dots of light, and sculpted the mask with side lights. The effect we wanted was that of entering into the silence and vastness of the the cosmos or of the internal world of Simba's subconscious. So again, it goes into that whole 
talk about how, you know, he is looking up at the stars. So you have the dots that kind of mimic the, the stars. And then you realize that a lot of this stuff is kind of going on in Simba's brain because he needs to, you know, he's trying to come to terms with something and emotion that he's repressed for so very long. And he's trying to come to terms with the fact that he's been running for so long and he needs to face up to what he, what he's been running from. Right. And that is an incredible sequence mm-hmm. of, of um, when Mufasa appears in the clouds. That is, that is one of the, the best sequences in the show. And it's also set to my favorite song in the whole show, He Lives in You. So, <laughs> so that helps as well. I always, I always love um, that song. And again, that's not in the original movie. And when we first saw this musical, I was like, that's a great song. But I think it is in one of the sequels, right? Yeah, it's in Lion King 2. It, I think it starts with He Lives, lives in yeah, You. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a Lion King historian like you, <laughs> so I've never seen anything. And when I say I think it starts with, I'm positive it starts yeah, with. I know, you're just trying to downplay it. Like, oh, maybe, maybe. You probably know all the words that one too. So. Uh, I do. But that is, that is a great song. That is a great sequence. I don't know the African chants with that one, though. I know some of the African chants that go with Circle of Life, though. Okay, good. I know none of the words of Circle of Life. We've... We've talked about this before, how, <laughs> how, I, how I butcher uh, what they're saying every time. So, all right. So then I, a little bonus one, and I think this goes without saying, is that this musical is a global, like worldwide record-breaking phenomenon. You already mentioned Julie Taymor. She won the Tony for Best Direction of a Musical. She was actually the first female to win that award, so broke that record. It's been seen by over 95 million people. It's been performed in eight different languages and performed on every continent except for Antarctica, which I think Antarctica probably feels really sad about this. I think that's a missed opportunity. Antarctica's crying because it hasn't seen The Lion King. Yeah, all those people there, <laughs> they're there for uh, scientific purposes. They have to live there. It's so cold. I mean, all they want is to see The Lion <laughs> if King you on watch, Broadway. If you we watch, need to cheer them up. If you watch Modern Family and see how miserable Alex was in Antarctica. She made it a know, day. Yeah, she she just well, needed The Lion King. Yeah. That's that's all she needed. I th- we, need to, we need to get a Kickstarter. Get The Lion <laughs> King to Antarctica. So, And then it's the highest grossing Broadway musical. It's made... Last the most recent article I saw was from 2018. It had made $1.4 billion with over 8,500 performances and that's on broadway and yeah. then worldwide it's grossed over six billion dollars so it's the highest grossing worldwide musical now it's not the longest i think it's the, the longest continually running show um no i don't think so i think that's phantom well no phantom has been phantom is the longest show but i don't think phantom has been continually running uh, so i believe i believe and i could be wrong but i think you are okay but i, I believe what i saw is that the lion king was was the longest uh, running show, but yeah, Phantom has had more performances overall, but has not outgrossed The Lion King. So while it's had more performances, The Lion King has sold more tickets, a, a higher price, and everything. So it, it's the uh, the number one grossing musical. And again, like we talked about, so this was the second musical that Disney had ever done. Because of this success, I think this led into Aladdin and Frozen of very high production value musicals. You know, I think if The Lion King would have not done well, you would have not have you would not have seen Aladdin or Frozen, uh, because Disney probably would not have done something that big. So, so the longest running is Phantom of the Opera. It debuted in 1988, and then Chicago, the revival of Chicago, 
1996, and that's still running, and Lion King's number three for longest running. So it is, again, when you think of it, those two movies or those two musicals above it are such smash hits, and The Lion King has outperformed it because, again, it, the word travels, excellence is, is noted. It's incredible. It deserves to be seen. It deserves to be re-seen. You're going to see something different every time you go see it. Right. And like I said, just kind of wrapping up on my point that I think the success of this helped Disney feel confident mm-hmm. in creating other musicals. And now, you know, they have a whole part of the company now that runs these Broadway musicals. I mean, it's it really expanded upon, you know, what Disney was and kind of put them into, you know, another stream and way to interact with people. And what's really great about when you go see a Disney musical on Broadway, there's a lot of young kids there. And they always start the show by saying, for any of our first time guests, you know, we welcome you here and we hope this starts a, you know, lifelong love of musicals and Broadway and coming to see more shows. And so it's really great. Like they understand, you know, who their audience is. And it's, it's just another way to expand, you know, people's horizons, but then also uh, expand their love of Disney. Yeah, exactly. So, So what, what, movie what disney movie would you most see, like to see turn into a musical we have what we have beauty Let's, and the beast we have the lion king we have frozen we have aladdin besides what's already uh been like turned a brand into a new musical, musical debuting on broadway next year what do you want to say well i think it has to be one that already has music in it so you're not going to have like a Zootopia, because that's not really like a musical. <laughs> Zootopia, um, the musical that would come out. I mean, of they, left they've field. already they've already done. I mean, they've, they've done Tarzan. I don't know if they've done Mulan. I mean, I, I think Moana would be a good one. Darn it, you stole my answer. <laughs> I mean, just just thinking, you know, recently, I think, I think that one may make a good musical. Um, again, because could they you... they they could really play into the South. Um, Pacific Polynesian um, kind of roots of that one, and mm-hmm. and do some really great scenery. Can you and imagine songs and stuff to it? Uh, Tokatua, the the shiny crab. Yeah, like yeah. on stage, he would be incredible. Yeah. It would almost be the splendor of the scene from Aladdin. Friend like me, how there's all the glitter and the beautiful decorations in the background. That would be an incredible scene. To yeah, see. I think Moana lends itself pretty well to a musical because there's pretty defined plot points. There are kind of show-stopping musical numbers already built in, and they could probably change out the backgrounds and then in the foreground do just like the ocean because she's on the ocean for a large portion. Yeah. So then they could kind of switch out those backgrounds and make them you know nice and pretty while she's kind of in the foreground. Yeah, I could I could almost see them doing it similar to Aladdin where you have Maui be kind of like the genie, you know, kind of a, you know a big like your welcome is a big entrance number as, mm-hmm. as he's it obviously wouldn't be able to change his shape on on stage but you could do something you know very interesting with that you know shiny would be a big number yeah i, I think that would be a pretty interesting one i mean that, uh-huh. that's the one that comes to mind and i mean who knows maybe they're working on it i mean frozen it took them four or five years i think to to from the when the movie came out to turn into a musical they're apparently secretly working on a Moana sequel. <laughs> I was just going to mention that. Yeah, I we forgot to mention that and I mean I guess it's not technically news because it's it's it hasn't not been, confirmed, been confirmed. But, but yeah, but, but there's rumors that they are 
they're kind of working on it. But but Moana seems to be coming into the parks more. In, in Epcot, we're going to have the, the water garden of Moana and uh, Disneyland's new parade. Moana's going to play a part in it. So yeah, I, It's really popular with kids. Like Most of my students have seen it. They like it. Um, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a great musical. I mean, I'm sure that Moana for this generation is kind of like my Lion King. Um, and I think that it, I would rank it up there. I mean, I, we've done this before, but I would rank it up there with the Lion King as far as quality. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if they are working on a, a musical behind the scenes. So I think what will be interesting because how Frozen started is it was at the Hyperion Theater in uh, Disneyland. So you know, if we see... A Moana show come to the parks that may be a test run for them to see hey th- can this thing work do, are people interested in seeing it because if they'll sit through a half an hour 40 minute show at the parks then maybe they can expand it to a full musical so. we'll see if Joe Stradamus is at work okay <laughs> long time listeners <laughs> you can get that one so yeah so thanks everybody uh, for listening again this week if you have not seen Lion King musical on Broadway definitely go see it if you get the chance uh, if you have seen it, hopefully you kind of learned some some new things that you didn't know before. So when you go see it again, you you can pick up on that stuff that, mm-hmm. that that's kind of hidden in there. So again, want to thank everybody for listening. Make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. Best thing you can do is leave us a rating or a review. That really helps. That really mm-hmm. helps um, more people find the show, and so we can get to uh, you know a broader audience. It's 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 crazy. Whenever you when whenever we get reviews, a couple reviews, our numbers, our download numbers boost. So even though you think that like oh you know what's that gonna do? It really we can see it. We know whenever we get a review because we can see that the numbers of downloads we get go up. Yeah, so it does help. Yeah, thanks. And, and if you want to interact with us on social media, we're on Facebook or Instagram at Enchanted Ears Podcast on both. If you have a question you want to ask we can answer it on the show send it to us through one of the social media or you can go to our website enchantedearspodcast.com slash podcast question also kind of updated the podcast page on the website so you can easily see and kind of sort through all the the back catalog of all the shows so they're all right there if you ever want to go back and uh, and listen to one you know, or find one that, that we talked about, make it a little bit easier. So you can check that out on the, on the website again. That's yeah. enchantedearspodcast.com. Thanks everybody, you know, as always again uh, for listening each week and we'll see you here next Monday. Thank you for lending us your ears. Bye.